It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Listening to the Teal for Change podcast on the Sharks Audio Network. Now, here's your host, Mo Fafana. You are now listening to the Teal for Change podcast. My name is Mohammed Fafana, and I am your host for this podcast. Excited to have you tune in today, as this will be my last recording of the Teal for Change podcast. The theme for today's episode is gratitude because for the last two and a half years, I believe, or two years that I've been doing this podcast, I never imagined myself doing it first and foremost. An opportunity came up and I raised my hand alongside my colleague, Whitney Hallock, as well as Missy Zielinski and Gina Rodriguez. It was the four of us and we believe that we can tell amazing stories that weren't being told in hockey before. We believe that we could impact the Bay Area community. We believe that we can that we could grow hockey and share diverse stories that weren't being told. And that's how it, it kind of started. Um, I do sales for a living, so I know how to talk, how to sell, but Doing podcasts wasn't anything that I ever saw myself doing throughout my tenure here. And I looked around and then it was just me <laughs> because Whitney got a great opportunity to move out east. Um, and then Missy as well as Gina. And there was just me. But I was still so motivated to continue to tell these stories because I understood the power of sharing stories, the power of com the power of community, the power of uniting people through commonality, which is what this podcast has been able to do for me. Every time I sit in front of someone, whether it was in person or in Zoom to record, um, I've left every conversation like, wow, we're not so different. And I think that's one of the things I wanted to do in hockey because it's not a very diverse league, but many of us share many commonalities if we are able to sit down in one way or another and have conversations and learn about each other and listen to you know different stories and getting outside of our own bubble and so for the last two years or so you guys have been on this ride with me as you know i start the podcast this is mo you know you're not listening to the tip of change podcast and it's been one of the things that I am super proud of in my career, in my tenure here with the Sharks. I've loved every bit of it. And I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to me, first and foremost, as I got to get used to my own voice. Thank you for allowing me to grow. Thank you for allowing me to learn and challenging me to be better. And as I go into the next chapter of my life, I just wanted to 
you know, just take a moment, acknowledge what I've been able to do for the last seven years here in Team Till, from coming in as a group sales account executive to now senior group sales account executive to leading the Till for Change Council in 2020 when we didn't know what we were doing. But I just believe that we could change hockey, that we can change our organization. And we did that, you know. I was part of a group that made a huge impact in the organization. And I'm super proud of that to designing a jersey. To this day, I'm still, I still pinch myself. And that's something that will live on forever. The first Black History Month jersey, like, wow. To this podcast, to many different things internally, whether it's multimedia club, whether it's advocating for different initiatives, I'm just grateful for everything that I've been able to do throughout my time here with Shark Sports and Entertainment. I know that this is not a goodbye. It feels more like a see you later because the Sharks have been part of my life now for the last seven years and I can just turn it off and just blink and, and just move on. But it's it's about time for a change. It's about time for a new adventure, um, a new passion. For the last four years, three, four years, I've been doing more art, whether it was the Jersey. And I mentioned in some podcasts earlier, I had my art exhibition in Memphis. And um, and so, you know, I want to do more of that. I want to do more art. I want to be able to continue telling stories and inspiring people um, visually through my art, which is painting. I paint um, oil, acrylic on canvas, um, design. Um, I want to do more of that. I also want to continue to have these type of conversation and continue to make impact, you know, whether it's through art, whether it's through sports and entertainment. I just want to continue to challenge myself um, with the next opportunity. And so, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on this ride with me the last couple of years. And so for today's episode, I brought one of my um, internal mentors who've been on this journey with me since 2019. He was actually my second director here um, in my Sharks career here as a group account executive, um, Mr. Jonathan White, who was now the senior director of premium sales and premium hospitality. I can't wait to be able to dive in into his story a little bit more. I mean, I've known him now for the last five years or four years. So got to got many conversations with him and loved his his growth within the organization. And he's my co-host for the Black Intel um, employee resource group that we have here with the Sharks. And so I thought, what a fitting way to have my last conversation with him and Super excited for you guys to hear the conversation. So coming up next on my last Till for Change podcast episode is Mr. Jonathan White. And on today's Till for Change podcast episode, I have Mr. Jonathan White, who is the Senior Director of Premium Sales and Premium Hospitality. Welcome to the Till for Change podcast. Thank you, Mo. Excited to be here. Yeah. You're my last guest. I'm honored. Of, you know... Of this podcast tenure, so um, I usually start off the podcast by asking, you know, the guests um, to tell us a little bit about their background, um, upbringing, and how did that shape them? 
Yeah, no, thank you. And and thanks again for for having me on. Um, so I, I had probably a bit of an untraditional upbringing to get into sports and entertainment. Um, you know, when I came up uh, going through high school and then eventually going to Oklahoma for college, sports was not even on my brain. I, I played, I was a mediocre athlete, I, I think like most people, but um, I went to Oklahoma to be a supply chain management major. So I was sort of following in what my dad's career path had, had been his whole life. Although I really had no idea what it was or, or you know, why I was going into it. It was it was what my dad did. And, and it was as easy as that for me. Uh, when I got to OU, I realized I was really, really bad at calculus. And that was quickly not going to be a career path for me. And I quickly ended up shifting to public relations and communication uh, as a minor for me at OU. And so while I was making that transition at OU, I started to do some part-time work um, with a couple of minor league teams, the NBA, uh, G League, Texas Legends, you know, out in Frisco where I was raised, and then the Oklahoma City Dodgers and, and OKC. And so I, I started to get some experience just working in sports, and it, it just started to be honestly a bit of a coincidence. And I, I sort of looked at my resume and thought, wow, I've got two jobs in sports. Maybe I should go for another. Mm-hmm. And Sports management really was not the thing that it was back in 2013-14 as a major, and I had the opportunity to be the PR chair for the Sports Management Club at OU, and the first meeting that we had of the year was with Scott Loft, who was the VP of ticketing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he talked to me about ticket sales and outbound sales being a full-time role, and I remember calling my parents after that meeting thinking, I think I could do this full-time, and they (laughs) said, you should go for it, and I started working for them part-time, and the rest is history. It, it's I've sort of blinked, and it's been eight years now on the professional side, full time, and here we are today. So yeah. it, it was it was dumb luck, honestly. So being in sports, growing up, what what sports? I mean, I know this, but you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what sports did you play? Yeah, I'm I'm a basketball guy all day. Um, I did just to help get myself in shape in you know, seventh and eighth grade. I did cross country and then track and field. So I was a high jump guy for a little bit. Okay. And cross country, I'm horrible at. But again, I, I you know the head basketball coach was the cross country coach, mm. and so when I got cut from basketball, I saw that as a way to get suck up and, and get in front of him. So I was playing a bit of chess, okay. uh, not checkers, at an early age and. It worked. He saw that I was dedicated to to getting on the team, and I was willing to run an obscene amount of miles yeah. every week to do it. And ended up working. Um, no chance. My parents would let me play football. Like, just I mean, I had no interest in doing that, but my mom would literally not allow it. And so, yeah, I, I played basketball. I, I ended up being pretty good, but I think everyone says that. But, yeah. Um, no, I was I was a pretty good player, and ended up you know going from someone that got cut to playing on varsity was pretty cool. Yeah. So Not. I love it. I loved it. It's always interesting because I'm like the opposite where the track runner across country that also play basketball compared to like basketball player who they force typically to right. run um, cross country and they just out there just like, I hate it. Why am I here? Yeah. But, you know, you kind of do it because you got to make the team and it also gets you in shape throughout, you know, the, the whole season. So for sure. Um, other than basketball, what were like some of your other hobbies that you were into as a kid? Um, I, I think similar to to you, where you and I started to bond early on, is I really got into 
collecting things, yeah. expensive things, unfortunately, <laughs> for my parents. So I, I'm, I'm a pretty big sneakerhead. So I got into Jordans at a pretty early age, sort of led into Kobe's and all this other stuff. So that that sort of became my my vice um, outside of school and stuff like that was just collecting shoes. And I have more than I, I care to admit publicly today on the podcast, but uh, it's still a challenge today. I'm, I'm my closet. I have like three closets in my house are full of shoes. And um, it, it's a, I told my parents, it's a safe hobby. I could be addicted to other things in life. I agree. If it's shoes, then I would like you guys to support me in that. So, um, but I was, I was honestly a pretty quiet kid in high school. I, I played sports. I didn't party. I didn't do any of that stuff. Like I, I went to practice. I came home. I'd play basketball until the sun went down and I'd get up and do it again. And that, that was my life. Simple as that. So who's your goat in basketball? You know, after that, <laughs> yeah, Kobe's, right? Like Kobe's, you know, um, my family's all from Southern California. So I, I, you know, although I was raised in Dallas, you know, I was always Laker fan through and through and, you know, um, no way I probably even work in sports if it's not for Kobe. Like yeah. there was there was just something in that guy um, when I would watch him play basketball that just was different. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think like a lot of kids in sixth, seventh grade, like you you try to replicate that and yeah. carry that yeah. that attitude and yeah. that swag. And um, it's been it's it's been something that, you know, when I stopped playing sports, I, I still try to carry it today. Right. In, into the business side of my life. So, um, love that guy. He's, he's everything to me, like hero, everything. Yeah. So yeah. Kobe, Kobe all day. I can relate. I, I can know relate. It. Cause I've times people are like, I'm like, Oh, I'm from Memphis. They're like, Oh yeah. The Grizzlies. I'm like, yes, I love the Grizzlies. Yeah. You know, I'm from Memphis. Um, but I grew up, uh, you know, a Lakers fan because of Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, I usually get a little bit of leeway, but people still like, you know, but yeah. again, um, Kobe Bryant was their guy. Yeah, so. he was. And I, I, you know, you know, but I had the chance to meet him a couple of times in high school. I went to his camp in 11th and 12th grade yeah. when I was actually getting pretty good. And, um, you know, to get to shake his hand and yeah. talk to him for a couple minutes and take some pictures with him, get some autographs was like, I remember shaking his hand and I like walked back down the stairs and I was like, I just shook the hand of someone that scored 81 points, <laughs> like what in the world. And I thought it was like, like the space jam, like, Oh, the magic is true. Yeah. I literally went to the free throw line, still sort of starstruck. Yeah. And I took a free throw. I literally airballed it. I was like too much power. He's too good. So like this, this didn't work. Um, but I had a really good, good camp and, um, yeah, that's, that's the go forever always. Okay. So you ended up after high school in Oklahoma. What yep. was it about Oklahoma that said, this is where I want to go to further my career? This is a really bad answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? You know, I was so invested as a mediocre athlete in high school in that, that it was like my season ended in February and I sort of looked around and I was like, oh gosh, I have to pick college. Yeah. Everyone else was announcing Texas Tech, yeah. UT, um, Horns Down and like all these other places <laughs> they were going. And I was like, whoa, I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And um, long story short, my best friend growing up since fourth grade was an Oklahoma fan. Okay. And we sort of made a truce in fourth grade we were both going to Oklahoma period. Like I would just, I had no, I wasn't a college guy okay. and, until I moved to, to Texas and where football's King sports are King. Yeah. And so he was an OU fan. So I was an OU fan. It was as simple as that. And so when it was time to choose a college, um, I didn't apply anywhere else. It's like, I'm going to be a sooner period. <laughs> okay. And I started to really fall in love with sports and I wanted to go to a team that was in contention with football, basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
Um, I just wanted the big collegiate experience. Yeah. Like that was everything. Again, growing up in Texas where football is religion, yeah. I needed to be a part of that. And so when I went to my first OU Texas game, my first year there, that solidified why I went to OU. Okay. Uh, people think I'm crazy living there. It's a growing state. I love it. I would live there again, actually. But um, being being affiliated with Oklahoma is still to this day like the coolest thing in the world to me. Okay. The coolest thing in the world. So other than you mentioned you were in a lot of the sport management clubs, like what what how is the how was the campus environment and you know being a uh, stood in there. Yeah, it was great. Honestly, I was just far enough away from Dallas to where my parents couldn't surprise me. Okay. Like I was two and a half hours. So like if they wanted to come, like I had time to clean up my, my apartment and get my life together. Um, but it, it's a beautiful campus. It's quiet. Like you really can't get in a ton of trouble in Oklahoma. Like there wasn't that much to do. Okay. Um, downtown Oklahoma City was growing and it is night and day from when I went to college there eight years ago. But um, it, it's just a quiet little college town. Like there's, there's not a lot. You go to football games, you go to basketball games. We're a great softball school, gymnastics. Like we have a lot of really good sports and um, you have fun obviously, but yeah. it was a, it was a good campus. And it was one that I was really, really proud to be a student at all things considered um, living in Oklahoma, I think has, you know, some, some other challenges that I think I'm used to from even living in and growing up in Texas, but, um, all in all, like if you're a sooner, like you're, you're in pretty good shape in okay. that state. So I, I loved it. And I hope I can force my kids to go there one day <laughs> is the plan. So you eventually get your sport management degree? No, PR. PR. PR and communication. And PR and communication. Then you get your degree. Um, upon time to graduate, for graduation, did you know what you wanted to do next? Or like, how did you find your way into the sports industry? Yeah, so just as I said, I fell into it a little early. I ended up finding what my profession was gonna be full-time earlier than everyone else. So it's like okay. my, my script completely flipped and I went from like, wow, I feel like I'm way behind all my friends and where I should be in my junior year to yeah. I was the only one that had a full-time job eight months before graduation. Okay. So I ended up joining the Thunders Inside Sales Program in May, okay. and I did not graduate until December. So I was, I did not have a degree and I was working in 95. So to say the least, I'm sorry to all the folks that were in my capstone my senior year because I did not care. <laughs> I was, I had, a, I would walk into my capstone. So I, I would literally work nine to five in the city. Yeah. I would drive to Norman, which is 25 minutes away in a full suit, a thunder badge on yeah. my hip, not a care in the world because, hey, if we fail this capstone, yeah. I already have a gun, <laughs> which again is horrible advice, but I, I just was so... I'm not going to say checked out, but everyone was scrambling to find that internship, that job, you know, like what were they going to do? And I was like, I, I'm closing deals right now. Like yeah. I work in the NBA. You couldn't tell me anything. Yeah. Right. So I was, I got really lucky. And so when I did graduate, like literally my graduation morning, I think I graduated at 10 AM in December, some weekend. Um, and we had a game at like one, oddly enough, it was the Lakers. Kobe got hurt. So Kobe didn't play, but I was like, this is the coolest day of my life. Yeah. And my parents all came up family, everything. And so I, I walked across the stage, packed in the car, kept, just took my cap and gown off and put a suit jacket on and went to work. No one else did that. Right. Wow. Like it was, it was one of the cooler days of my life. And my parents drove back to Dallas and I was back at work on Monday. Like nothing happened. So, um, again, from there, I, I finished out probably two or three more months with the thunder and then mm -hmm. found my way. Uh, oddly enough, back home with Dallas with the Mavericks, and that's when sort of the career started to to really gain some momentum, and I started to take control of things a little bit. 
earlier in your careers, uh, in your career, who are some of the people that you looked at that you were like, okay, I want to eventually be able to do the things that this person is doing? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my inside sales manager, uh, Justin Jordan, uh, who's laughing and definitely rolling his eyes if he listened to this, is uh, 100% responsible for me being here. Like, I knew coming in after I did my first week in inside sales, I loved it. I, I, I thought I definitely found a home in sales as a seller. I, I like to talk as most are already seeing on this, but I had a feeling I wasn't going to do it long. And, okay. I, you know, I'd worked with him now for about a year and a half by the time I got into inside sales. And I quickly fell in love with the process of, you know, recruiting me as a college student, mm -hmm. having me work for him part time you know, sort of showing me the ropes. I was starting to find some success as a part-time employee. He taught me about what an account executive was, what a career in the sports industry could look like. And then to eventually have him bump me up to inside sales, he's responsible for my career starting off. And so I, I just, I knew that sales would be great. I wanted to do it for a while, but I told him my second week, he probably thought I was crazy. I want to be in leadership. Okay. I'm ready for that, which he was like, shut up. Yeah, pick up the phone. But I knew that that was my calling. That's what I wanted to do. So every move I made after I got into inside sales was to expedite my uh, journey to get into a leadership position. And it was because I wanted to give back and replicate that experience that he had given to me and the chance he'd given to me. I wanted to give that to other people. So I, I had probably the one of the shorter sales careers than most people. I, I think I was a full-time seller for maybe two and a half years. And then I jumped into leadership. So I was, I, I just wanted to get it in, put in my time yeah. and, and make the, the transition as quickly as possible. That's such a great point because I feel like oftentimes when, you know, people that get into sales like myself, um, people are trying to figure out what they want to do. And yeah. um, it's interesting to see that you already knew in your second week that you wanted to be in leadership yep. and then, you know, made every decision to be able to get you there. Um, and it's so funny you say that because yesterday I was listening to um, uh, not a podcast, but an episode, the old Noah, Noah uh, Trevor Noah oh, yeah. episode mm -hmm. with Oprah. And um, and he asked her, it's like, you know, like you talk to all of this successful and, you know, people who do all these great things, what are some of the things you find in common? And she was like, you know, the one thing that she finds in common is that they know what they want to do yeah. and they're not wasting their time trying to do what people think that they should do and no. things of that nature. Mm -hmm. They know what, what they want to do and then they direct everything. And then the universe works with you Correct. to be able to get you there. Correct. So I think anyone in any form of life is listening to this. I feel like that's a great point that you made there. Cause like, again, this is the things why I love doing this podcast. Cause I, you know, people through this conversation and then I was like, whoa, um, so it, it, it's not surprising to see, you know, where you are now, right. um, given that you knew early on, like what you, what was it about leadership that, that, you know, made you say, this is what I want to do. Yeah. It was just, again, I loved the impact he had on my life as a college student. Like okay. I, you know, to be, again, if you go back to my freshman, sophomore, junior year at OU, while it was fun and games and great football team and all that, as a student, honestly, I was pretty lost. I really was like, you know, when I decided supply chain was not for me, you know, that was not a fun period of my life okay. as a student. Like it was dark. It was scary. I had to have tough conversations with counselors and, you know, have to go home at Christmas break and tell my parents, like, 
I'm not doing well yeah. was was not fun. And I had to really take a look in the mirror and decide what am I good at? Yeah. Like, forget the perception of like what I think I should be because mm-hmm. of my parents. Mm-hmm. Be you. Mm-hmm. Like, go do what you're supposed to do. And I knew because I, I came up in um, uh, sort of school. My best class was always English and writing. Mm-hmm. Like I could I can write now. I can write some good stuff. Yeah. And so I, I actually really loved the idea of going into PR and crisis communication. Like I, I was, you know, I never had that fire for my major as I did with supply chain management. So when I, I made the change, I was like, I was all in. This is what I was going to do. Yeah. And but it took me having to just be honest with myself. Yeah. And before I was not being true to me, I was like, force your way into math and business school. It's like <laughs> both my parents have master's degrees, yeah. MBAs. It's mm-hmm. like, you have to do that. Yeah. And I did not have to do that. I could be successful in my own way. Absolutely. And when that clicked yeah. and I told my counselor that at school and she said, let's do it. That's when my life changed. And like, it was weeks after that I made yeah. that decision. I met the thunder. Like that's, that's how it was supposed yeah, to be, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I love the I love the process. And to your earlier point, you know, when you figure out what you want to do, have tunnel vision. Like nothing, you can't get in my way. And if yeah. you do, like it, it's not, yeah. it's not going to work out. And I'm, I have that, and I'm a very stubborn individual. So, like, if I say I want to do X or I want to move this place, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, I was the same way about moving to California. Like all through college, and when I graduated, it was I'm going out west. Yeah. And so the second the phone rang from the Niners, I said, goodbye. And, and, you know, I love the Mavericks. The people there are phenomenal. But there was unfortunately nothing they could say to get me to stay because, A, the Niners could get me closer to being a manager. And, B, it was moving me on the personal side of my life where I wanted to be. Absolutely. They could have thrown anything at me. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I was just making that move. And um, I'm already a couple steps ahead now, you know. So I know know what's next. And... um, it's just a matter of when it happens. All right. So let's let's uh, track back a little bit. So from the OKC Thunders, yep. let's talk a little bit, the steps that took in between that to get you to the Sharks. I know mm-hmm. we mentioned a le- the Niners a little bit, but let's let's walk the people through. Yep. So you did inside sales in OKC. Yeah, um, group sales at the Maps. Okay. Yeah, so I sold groups and premium and then season tickets. So when I was at the Thunder, we had Durant, Harden, Westbrook, Ibaka. Like mm-hmm. we were a contending team. So we, we literally had a wait list for season tickets. So I sold zero FSE, okay. uh, barely even mini plans. So going to Dallas was helpful because I could I could diversify me as a seller and I could sell a little bit of everything. I was there for Dirks, I think second to last year. So that, that was a cool thing to be a part of. Um, the opportunity for the Niners was unique because Levi Stadium was a couple years old. Uh, Kaepernick was sort of phasing out. Harbaugh was out, you know, new coach and GM. And there started to be just a, the organic sellouts were starting to end a little bit at Levi's. And so it was time to start a sales academy. And gotcha. so that that's ultimately, honestly, why I went there. It was you can come be the first group seller ever mm-hmm. at Levi's Stadium, like dedicated in this new role. And you can have a hand in marketing, collateral, pricing, Mm -hmm. stuff that as a normal AE, you would never get to do. Gotcha. And I looked at Dallas and I'm like, this is a 30-year-old team. They don't don't need me to have input on anything. The Niners, I had a phenomenal boss there. He was like, what do you want to price this game at? And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. So that experience, uh, I think, really expedited my growth. So I, I did that for a season 
best year of my life as a seller. Like, you know, I, I really found myself, found my groove. And like any 24 year old, I said, I'm ready to lead a sale. Uh, the Niners thought I was crazy. Um, they supported me though. And I love them for that. Yeah. And so from there, I went to be the manager of ticket sales service and um, part-time staff for the, the Santa Cruz Warriors. So I was the crazy person that went from the NFL to the G League. Mm. And admittedly, I got a lot of flag like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. And I said, I'm betting on myself. Absolutely. Um, I was ready to be a manager. Again, I'm stubborn. Yeah. I said, well, I could wait here a year and do it, or I could go do it now. Okay. So I went and did it. Yeah. And the experience I got because it was the G League with less, less resources, more responsibility, boy, I learned some lessons quick. And I learned how to wear 50 different hats from yeah. being the manager uh, to being the mascot yeah. to picking up trash outside the arena to everything. And so when, you know, when the stars aligned um, in a really weird way for me to come to the Sharks, then then I, I took the opportunity. But it, it was also a weird fate that I got up here as well. What would you say was about the Sharks that was like, this would be a good next phase for me? I'm glad you asked because it's my biggest piece of advice for everyone coming up. So every move I had made, admittedly, the biggest mistake I was making in my career was I was a I was a little brand chasing a little okay. bit. So I I you know I was going to come to California either way, but I was really enamored with the Niners and working for the NFL. And I actually remember telling a recruiter who called me. Um, you know, he's, he was he was floating a couple of sports at me like baseball in yeah. Washington, like all these weird things that happened. <laughs> And I, I literally told them, if you don't have the NFL or NBA in California, do not call me. I was an account executive. <laughs> Who the heck did I think I was? And I like hung up the phone and by the grace of whoever you believe in, called me the next day and said 49ers. And I went, oh, crap, that worked. <laughs> don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Um, but you know, and then I went to the Warriors and like, you know, it was Santa Cruz, but I really liked getting affiliated with the Warriors brand. And that was great. Yeah. It, phenomenal experience and great leaders there. But when I went to the Sharks, I decided I was going to align myself with the best leader mm -hmm. I could. And so I mentioned it was a weird coincidence. I'd actually applied to work at the Sharks when I was still at the Niners to be mm -hmm. the inside sales manager. Uh, Brian Towers is my boss today. He was he would have been my boss then. Uh, I did not get that job, which is why I went to Santa Cruz. So when the director of group sales opened at the Sharks, I texted Brian and I said, hey, old friend. Uh, the job had been up, honestly, for like five months. Mm. And I saw no one took it. Yeah. And this is your staff, yeah, of course. Is my <laughs> and I knew a couple of the folks at the Sharks just because we'd all been in the Bay for a while. And I texted Brian. I said, hey, hey, man, like, I'd love to connect with you again. I think this seems like a really good opportunity. My boss at the Niners referred me over to it. So I, I'd sort of, you know, coming at Brian from a couple of different angles. Yeah. And a week and a half later, I was a shark. I did two interviews and got offered the job before I left SAP Center. Um, and here I am five years later. So, but it was a move in. I knew of Brian for a long time. Okay. And I knew he was, he had a really good reputation for growing leaders. His tree is ridiculous and so i i wanted him to take the reins in my career and help get me to the you know the next steps and um he, he's he's done that better than any leader i've ever had so what if you could go back to what year was this this would have been 2019 2019 if you could go back to 2019 jonathan as you were coming into structure for entertainment so, what advice uh -huh. would you give <laughs> What advice would you give him 
then um, as he was embarking on this, you know, new opportunity. You know, I, I got really, again, lucky to be in the, the seat that I am right now running premium. I, I think it was a combination of the pandemic hitting and opportunity coming up that probably would have never come up for me before. And again, just having a leader that really believed in me. So I would have, you know, I got the job, but I think advice I'm, I'm always giving up and coming you know, you know, sports executives is like, you know, do, do really good, excel at the job that you have, but like continue looking forward and like identify what your next step is going to be and, and really start to spread your wings in the organization and ask questions, learn about different departments really start networking. And I, I do think I was like really in my corner in group sales in that wing. And that was my life. And there's, there's nothing, nothing was wrong with that. Mm -hmm. We had the best year in sharks group sales history. Mm -hmm. That banner is still up there today, mm -hmm. by the way. And, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was forced to start making relationships with VPs and mm -hmm. our president and all this stuff, but I wasn't doing it proactively. So I, I wish from day one, I was learning more about partnerships, learning more about premium. And, and, and instead, again, I got lucky mm -hmm. and, I got premium. Like they gave me sweet rentals, what, three months into me being here. That was kind of dumb luck. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit and it was, do you want to run all of premium? And yeah. I said, sure. Yeah. Um, but oddly during the pandemic, like probably two months before I got premium, I started to identify suites as like my next move. Like I'd done groups now for a couple of years and honestly it was getting a little like, I need something else to challenge me. And yeah. so I started listening to podcasts, you know, going on, you know, SBS, just business journal, like all these yeah. things and listening to premium leaders to teach myself mm -hmm. so I could teach the staff. And then oddly enough, I got the job, you know, and, and got promoted internally. But I, I wish I had done a bit more proactive homework just so I could be more on the offense as opposed to the defense, you know. What has been so far the most satisfying part of being a Sharks employee through your journey here? You know, I, I think the initial answer I would normally give is the staff, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, jumping into premium with no experience, right? Like here I am, the guy that is tasked with selling suite <laughs> leases and theater boxes that as a seller sold zero of them in my career. And now I'm responsible for the strategy for the department. <laughs> Yikes, that's, that was a little scary coming in. Yeah. But then to build out the staff and have up and coming account executives trust me and see like what we were building, how mm -hmm. I was doing it, spending time with me as a leader, coming to my department and then having their own success and watching them sell their first sweet lease was by far like the coolest thing in the world. Like you, you like that's why I do what I do. Yeah. And to see them excel and you know across millions of dollars of revenue is like holy cow, this actually worked. Yeah. So that that's like my one A answer, but one B has to be, you know, you, and you have been my partner in this the last three years. It's the pandemic hit, the George Floyd stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And then we had a really unique opportunity to put the revenue aside for a minute and decide we are going to lead the Sharks in DIB. Mm -hmm. That's been the craziest part, not just in my Sharks tenure, but I think of my career. Like, you look behind me in the office, no one can see us, but there's a jersey that you designed for the Sharks' first ever Black History Night. It's Evander Kane's jersey. It's autographed. It's hung in my office. Like, you and I did that. Yeah. Like, that's that's the coolest thing I've ever done in my career. So, for us, you know, you and I are day one till for change. So, for those who don't know, is our, our diversity, inclusion, and belonging 
council that we started weeks after the George Floyd incident and, and uh, kudos to uh, our president and our leadership team. We were, I think the second NHL team to establish yeah. one, I think behind the Kraken. And, you know, now here we are today, you and I are, are co-chairs of, of Black and Teal, our Black Employee Resource Group. So it seems like by day I'm selling sweets and yeah. by night I'm, you know, you and I are the DIB yeah, people here. Transformed the organization. Um, so that that's, that's what I, when I do leave the Sharks at some point, yeah. I hope I'm remembered for that more than anything. So like for my experience coming in through the Sharks and looking at the, you know, the boards of people that work here, there weren't, if any, that yeah. I saw. Zero. Right? That that looked like me. And so now as for the, the new generation that will go on Sharks, you know, our website or teamwork or LinkedIn or whatever, and they look up the leadership board, you're now one of those people that will come up, which right. was different for me. How does that, you know, how, how have you been able to process what does that mean, um, you know, with... Yeah. For the for the younger generation. It's cool, right? And you you nailed it. Like particularly working in hockey, it was so different for me because I came from the NBA yeah. and the NFL. So, you know, not only can I see myself in the front office, but I look on the field or yeah. the court and I see myself there. Yeah. I came to hockey and I was like, what is going on? I felt really isolated. And we also live in the Bay Area where you like know, zero point we're, whatever. Yeah, we're like a two percent population in the Bay Area. So to be, you know, someone that's been able to rise through the NHL has been uh, special, right? And I, I think, uh, you know, hopefully, I've begun to sort of stick out in a good way mm -hmm. at, at, on the league side. And I remember actually meeting, you know, who's a really good friend of mine. His name is Thomas Eugene. He was head of, of groups and, and most recently DIMB for the Panthers. Him and I were on a call. And um, he's also African-American and he, we sort of looked at each other on the Zoom call and he's director of groups at the time I was director of group. Yeah. I get a message from him on LinkedIn. He like friends me and then he messages me and he says like, he just literally writes like dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is one of two things. This is either him being like, dude, hold look, there's another one of us. Yeah. Or I'm completely misreading this and I don't know what the heck. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to bet on my experience. Yeah. And I responded like my guy. Yeah. And he was like my brother. Yeah. And we got on the call <laughs> and he's been like a really good friend ever since. And so, yeah, you know, the, I look around the table as I go to ticketing meetings and league meetings and stuff. And it's like, um, you know, I'm really, really proud to be able to represent. And, you know, when I see college kids or students trying to come up, like, it's really cool to be on the leadership side of the Sharks and be able to attract and bring hopefully what is a level of comfort to minorities coming to the Sharks. And half of my sales pitch is revenue and what we're building. And yeah. I promise you the other half is come join a special diverse group that I'm trying to build here in San Jose. And, um, you know, we've been able to do that. And oddly, Crystal, who's my head of uh, premium service, she actually told me the thing that pushed her over the edge to take the job was in part because I mentioned having such a strong influence on DIB at the Sharks. Mm -hmm. She said that, she said when she was interviewing with other teams, she never heard it. She would ask them and it would be yeah. crickets. Yeah. But when I answered, like, I think she said, like, my eyes lit up and I like went off on in a good way, like yeah. what we're trying to build here, you and I. And she's been here two years now, right? So yeah. that that's a big part of, of what I'm trying to do here. Absolutely. And I think for me, that is when I felt like I found my footing, right. you know, um, because, again, even through through 
my job the past, I guess, the first three, four years, I'd advocated in different ways through different, you know, group nights and heritage night and things of that nature. Um, but for us starting that that council and just like realizing the power of being able to to speak up and advocate, yeah. not only for ourselves, but for those that will come after us. Mm-hmm. Understanding that when we looked at the sharks from when we came in, it was Again, we all came in from different reasons, right? Just, you know, right. grow our careers and things of that nature. But to now not, it's just being about us mm-hmm. and advocating for um, a lot of changes within, Correct. you know? And so to to see, you know, how we've continued to push boundaries and yeah. push the people around us to... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, let, let's keep it a buck, right? Like, we had some really challenging conversations here internally at the Shark. Absolutely. We did. Um, we, and we should be proud of that. Yeah. Like, if this, this shouldn't have been easy. And if it was, I would question... Why weren't we doing it before? Absolutely. And, you know, we had meetings and again, a credit to our leadership team. That was all of our, what are now SVPs and our president. Yeah. And we would meet with them, what, biweekly, once yeah. a month or something. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we had some calls that were cringeworthy. They were, <laughs> they were tough conversations to get through, but they were necessary. Absolutely. And again, if you think of where we were in 2020, every everyone was like that. So it's not a Sharks thing. It was just a, like, we were really taking these challenges head on for the first time as a company. And we are so much better today as an organization for that. And yeah. you and I are actually really fortunate, again, to have Jonathan, our president, right? Because he's he's really vocal at the league level and he's Absolutely. not afraid to pick up the phone and yeah. call Kim Davis or call Batman and, yeah. and say stuff. And so Jonathan has been you know, instrumental to us and supporting us and, you know, no, no chance we're, you know, having the progress we've had and, and, you know, without him, because yeah. he's certainly willing to push the boundaries yeah. at the league level. And I'm, I'm really grateful for him for that. Power representation. Oftentimes, you know, when we talk about the changes that we're making um, and mention you being at the leadership level, oftentimes, I think that goes over people's head when, you know, you're not, you know, from uh, a person of color Mm -hmm. where it is you're used to seeing yourself and being at the center of everything. Right. So oftentimes when we talk about the the importance of representation, um, like what does that mean for you in the role that you're in now? And for those that may want to, you know, follow in our footstep or whatever, you know, other industry. I think this is a challenging concept for those candidly that aren't minorities or that aren't underrepresented to capture. But it's so hard to envision yourself somewhere that's never been done before. Mm -hmm. And you go back to what, 2008, Mm -hmm. when Barack Obama became president. Mm -hmm. That That was like the cliche thing growing up of, right, like, you can do anything. And we'd be like, no, we can't. (laughs) And then Barack became president and it was like, oh, oh, I can do anything. And that's when things really started to shift. But then if you look at us on the, on the business side right now, you know, it's hard to think, man, I want to be X, Y, Z. I want to be the president of a team. I want to be the general manager of a team. I want to be a vice president of a team. If there's none, you're like, what's going on? Am I missing something? Is this possible for me? And it's not that race is the reason people aren't getting opportunities. 
but it's something we should be discussing. Absolutely. There's a factor there. And you look at what the Raiders have going on right now. They are the first, I think, NFL team in history, maybe even professional sports team in history that has a black head coach, yeah. black general manager, yeah. and black president. Yeah. Like, I want to stand up. Right. right now. How long like, have they been in existence? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, they just took a picture like a week ago, and to see them was surreal yeah and it's like okay we can do this and not only can we do this you know in spots and varying supporting roles they're running those are the three most important people in the organization yeah. outside of mr davis yeah. so um yeah I, I think you know the progress that we've started to make over the past few years has, has been really really cool to see and um you know again here we are at the sharks we have the first black general manager in nhl history but- i was there for you because when that happened i was here for me Again, we've been progressive in many ways, yeah. but never in a million years. Yeah, you know, again, it's the thing about representation, right? Because you've never seen it. You get to a point, you know, not that you don't think it can happen, it's but it's you not even just, on your radar. It's, yeah, it's you know, radar. and to the point when it did happen, like people were text. I had, I found out through other people texting me because they were like <laughs> in disbelief or like, or like, oh, your team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I told Jonathan and just uh, the team, again, not to say that they chose him because he was black, but because he was the best person for the job. And that's what uh, we want to hear. Absolutely. You know, yeah. but it's just that as we've seen many times, too many people have been qualified to do the job that's been passed over. Sure. So to finally get to a point where, you know, he got his just due because he was the best person for the job mm-hmm. and that, you know, I can look at him and be like, I can identify Like, Correct. you know, I can continue to push because mm-hmm. like there's levels that I can go. Not that I didn't believe it before, but it, it just, it gives you that See, extra seeing sense is of believing. Is believing, you know? Like Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so how how was it for you when he was appointed as, as GM? Yeah, I mean, I think I had the same feeling <laughs> a lot of people did, which was like, this is incredible, this is awesome. But I had like this weird sense of like fear in a way because mm. I was like, oh my God, please do well. Like and like, and if you would have named honestly any other GM, yeah. like Joe Smith yeah. off the road that yeah. I don't know who's not African American. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I want him to be he or she to be successful because they're at the shark. Yeah. Like this is my team. But like it was different when Mike got it. It was like I'm rooting for you on a level that like eight of us in the organization can feel. Yeah. And none of no one else can feel that. Yeah. It was personal yeah. to me. And so no one's rooting harder for Mike than the two <laughs> people in this room right here. Um, we we're he's he's a great person. Like I'm I'm really lucky to be able to call him a colleague and to have been here when, you know, he got that role. And he's one of the nicest people I've ever interacted with. He compliments my Jordans all the time, which I really appreciate. And um he's great. But yeah, I, I was happy but scared. Yeah. I really was. And I'm just like, you know, let's protect him and yeah. let's support him and let's let's do what we can to put from our perspective, what can I control? I yeah. can control putting, filling this building up and like, let's give Mike the best product that we can to make sure Mike is successful. Yeah. And I think it's probably vice versa, right? Like, yeah. I think we all feel that. So yeah, I'm every day, you know, every loss, I feel like I feel it. Right. I feel it. That, you know? that pressure. It's a lot. Being the first. It's a lot. And also being the best. Mm-hmm. You always have to be on. Yeah. And I feel like as a person of color, oftentimes, like that's, that's the thing that, 
you know, especially in the industry that we're in, in the league that we're in, there's not many of us. And having to be at your absolute best at all times is inhumanly po- impossible. And let's say you what know? it is. A lot of people don't have to feel that yes. pressure. Yeah. And we we feel like we carry that. And I don't want to speak for Mike yeah. at all, but there's to some degree, I think we'd all admit there's got to be pressure to being the first at some Correct. And not just being the first, but now you have to maintain it yeah. and have success in it. It's like, you know, if we're first at something and it flames out, what? Correct. Okay. What does it mean for what others, right? Exactly. You so know. now how many others are getting that opportunity? Yeah. And it shouldn't be like it that. It shouldn't be. But here we are. Absolutely. And so we're all rooting for Mike because we know Mike opens up doors for all of us to do other things yeah. in the front office, the hockey side you know, other sports that aren't like it, this is a monumental moment for sports for minorities. And so, you know, you look at even um, the Marlins mm-hmm. down South, right? Like that, the first female GM yeah. like in MLB history, like that was awesome. Yeah. And I think she just stepped down actually, or it was mutual, but it was like, that was, that was another one where to a lesser degree, but the same principle, Absolutely. I was like, I think I believe her name is Kim. It's like, yeah. Kim, come on. Yeah. Like, please do well, like Absolutely. open up more doors for more females to do it. You're seeing it on the coaching side, right? Like Becky Hammond in mm-hmm. Vegas. Yeah. There's a lot of football assistant coaches that are female now, yeah. which is really, really cool. And so we're, we're getting close. I feel like we're close to a female being an NBA head coach. I feel mm-hmm. like Becky probably got passed over and should be a, a head coach. And, you know, hopefully she, she, you know, uh, can, can pass. If, yeah, that passion back. leads back that way. Hopefully she, but know, again, yeah. to be clear, I want her to get it. I want everyone else to get it. I want myself to get something yeah. because I'm the best That's person. Funny. Don't give it to me because you want to give me a shot. Yeah. Um, I want to earn it and I want the same, I want to be graded at the same level as everyone else. And um, I can't speak for other people, but if, if it's, if it's because of other reasons, I don't want it. I don't want it. Gotcha. I want to be better than anyone else. And that's why I got the job. And I want that to be the plus the cherry on top of that. Absolutely. That's so, Today is, as a recording with this, is November 17, 2023. If we were to do this conversation again in November 17, 2028, Mm. paint me the picture of what, (laughs) (laughs) of where Jonathan is, where we're doing this meeting, uh, having this conversation. Um, Yeah, paint me the picture. Yo. <laughs> 2028. So 2028. Five, five years so five from years now. years from now. Um <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um you know, I've I've been I've been here at the Shark for five years. Um a, a good run. And you know, I can absolutely see a scenario that I'm I'm sitting here continuing to take on additional challenges here at, at the Sharks in San Jose. That's absolutely something that I can I can foresee myself doing. Um inversely, I also know myself. And you know, I'm always gonna continue to challenge myself and look for opportunities that are, are maybe outside of the scope of of what I might be getting in current responsibilities. So um you know, I could absolutely see myself being in the Bay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be under parameters that are really, really hard and challenging for me, though. Um, if not, then I, I, I'd probably see myself trying something a bit out of my comfort zone, to okay. be honest. Five years is a long time. It is. That, that's that's 10 years now at the Sharks. Yeah. You know, average tenure for people in sports teams is probably three to four years yeah. at best. So, yeah, I, I could see myself getting to a 
um, you know, a bigger market that, you know, that, that has just, a, just something else, right. That's yeah. not a shark's thing. It's just, I am going to continue to push the envelope. Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm, I might be somewhere cool, like, uh, New York, I could be in LA. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I've been in the West coast now for seven years and I, I think, you know, going out East and trying something at some point in my career, candidly is something that I'd, I'd like to try. But again, I hope that we can continue to push the envelope here in San Jose from a revenue perspective and from a DINB perspective. And, yeah. and I can, I would tell anyone the moment those things don't align is the moment that I, I will, I will look for the next challenge. And yeah. I don't think there's anything unhealthy with that. Absolutely. I would encourage everyone on my staff to do the same. Yeah. So that's kind of a cop out. <laughs> if you know, you know. I, I, yeah, if you know, you if you know, you know. And we're, yeah. we'll we'll end that question there. And um, so the last segment of the podcast is we get into some some fun questions um, to kind of close out the conversation. And yeah. the first one is your first memory of sharks hockey. I think mine's actually pretty cool. I'll try to. Uh, consolidate as much as I can. But the, the day I, when I signed to work at the Sharks was like, I can't remember the day of the week, but we were in the first round of the playoffs versus Vegas, boo. And I lived across the street from SAP Center. So right across from Whole Foods uh, was my apartment I lived in. And so I could hear the goal horn go off. And so um, I joined, I, I don't know, I think I signed in like game two or something. Okay. And every time I turned on a game, now that I was officially a shark, we would lose in the playoffs to, to Vegas. So I, for whatever reason, I would watch, they'd lose. And I'm very superstitious, so I stopped watching games. And every time I didn't watch, we'd be Vegas. So I said, I guess if I must sacrifice yeah. my, my enjoyment of hockey, I won't watch. And so game seven is on. I think there was a, you know, I don't know what was going on, ba ba basketball playoffs or something at the yeah. time. And so I'm watching the Lakers or something. And... I checked the ESPN app and I see the Sharks are down 3-0. And I went, man, yeah. I started in like two days. Yeah. Something, man, like it would have been cool to join and we were still in the playoffs. Yeah. But I'm like, that's life, whatever. But then I hear the goal horn go off. And I'm like, okay, cool. At least we didn't get shut out. Yeah. And my, my balcony is open. My dogs are barking, whatever. Like 30 seconds later, it goes off again. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck's going on in San Jose? So I'm like, I'm going to break the jinx. Yeah. It's like, I think the third period. So I'm like, I'm just going to turn it on. We probably lost. So I'm not a factor here. I turn on the game. I see Pavelski like bleeding coming off. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. And then like a minute later, we score again. Now it's a tie game. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. what in the world? And then we score again. Yeah. I'm like, holy cow, we're going to yeah. win. And then Vegas immediately scores yeah. in typical Sharks fashion. Yeah. And it goes to overtime and we win. And... I mean, I look outside and like the streets are like flooded with people. Yeah. I, the stories of you guys from employees was crazy. Yeah. That was my first real Sharks memory. It was like, I'd been to like two games before I joined as an employee, but like that was my like, oh my God, I love this franchise yeah. moment. And from there, you know, we should have won the cup that year. I don't care what anyone says. We got decimated by injury. But yeah. like for that to be my first memory, essentially being, I would probably argue the coolest moment in Sharks history. Yeah. Not bad. No. Not bad. So that was that was my first week as a shark, technically. The second question is favorite athlete of all time and why, but we're ready to answer that. Yeah. I would oh. inverse that as your least favorite athlete of all time. <laughs> uh I mean, who was annoying to Kobe? Like Raja Bell. I feel, oh bad, even, I feel bad even giving that punk right now. Um, least favorite. Um, I would actually I would say like the most annoying player to me was like Paul Pierce 
Like oh I can stand yeah. Pierce. I mean, it's like you know, he wasn't that good. He was, but he wasn't. Yeah. Um, he cost Kobe a ring. If you get in Kobe's way, like I'm just not having you. So yeah, Paul Pierce. Like if I look back, as I've been an NBA fan for 15 or so years, like he was probably the most annoying player I've ever watched in my life, and uh, he's somehow even more annoying in his career. <laughs> Not making very good decisions, so I'll stop there. <laughs> oh man, favorite book to recommend and why? Um, for fun or for work? Both. Either, yeah. Okay, for fun, I'm a Harry Potter guy. Okay. So, like, pick your favorite. Harry Potter is like my go-to. I, you know, I I don't pick up a lot of books these days. I'm a, as you know, yeah. I think you planted this. <laughs> Because you know I'm a audiobook guy and I refuse to read books. <laughs> I'm listening to one right now. <laughs> Harry Potter and the movies, by the way, all day. And um, I would recommend the first book when I got my uh, leadership position with Santa Cruz. Um, I thought, holy crap, I'm a manager. I think I need to go read a book about being a manager. Yeah. So I went and bought Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. And yeah. so for, you know, take it or leave it, that was my book. It started me off on my path to leadership. I was a horrible manager my first couple months. I'm probably mediocre at best right now, but like that really influenced how I wanted to lead and, yeah. and, and, you know, be as a, a people manager and, you know, inspiring others and teaching and giving back and, and Simon Simic, I've read a couple of his books now. So he's, he's been really influential to me in my career. Um, this is a fun one. What actor would play you in your biopic and why? I would say Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Smooth, you know what? I mean, he's just my favorite actor ever. Um, he's played such a diverse amount of roles from like Titanic, which is my favorite. So yeah. like he can do a cool love movie, romantic, and it's good. Um, he can, um, you know, he can do uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. and be crazy in that movie and he has his new one that's about to come out that i'm excited to see uh as well with scorsese that's supposed to be one of the best of his career yeah. so, wolf of wall street like that's really you know it's an aggressive movie yeah. but like every oddly so every time i start a new job uh i watch wolf of wall street the day before my first day so really? that's that has been my thing every Thank time you. it hypes me up it gets me going yeah. you probably remember this maybe you don't my first day at the sharks I did like a, here's who I am. Here's my expectations. Yeah. And I played like a 30 second clip of Wolf of Wall Street. It was, it was appropriate HR. But, um, it was like just one of the motivating like sales, rah, rah. Like, so like Leo, I love that. Leo, movie. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's the goat for me. So I, I would be honored if Leo would look at me. Nice. Um, and the last one is what cause is most important to you and why? Um, you know, I, I think I think the you know, we've talked about it a lot, but, um, you know, Black History Month and what it's become, particularly working in hockey mm -hmm. is continuing to be at least my favorite thing to do mm -hmm. right now. It's it's gone from, you know, something that was very under the table, very isolated. Mm -hmm. it, was, it wasn't like a formal thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like. You know, when I joined the league, it was Hockey Fights Cancer and Hispanic Heritage Month and, you know, a lot of these things. And again, we came out of the pandemic and I might be mistaken. Maybe, you know, I don't know if Black History Month is a staple league wide, but 
I know it's a staple. I think not. Well, I think I, it's not. It's becoming. Yeah, it's a staple here. here. Absolutely, and that's what I care about. Yeah. And you know, look at what we've done, right? Like yeah. to not only start it. Now we've got you know all the Bay Area ERGs coming out and supporting our night, which is cool. You yeah. and I went ice skating two yeah. weeks ago, and somehow I did not yeah. fall. I did not. Fall. You did not fall. Did you not. did I was pretty actually, well. I was actually, actually moving on the yeah. skates. <laughs> I was moving, and um, you know, to now have again like the jersey hanging behind us that that you created is my favorite thing ever and it's a staple for the sharks and yeah. you know um you know at some point both both of our tenures are going to end here yeah. and black history night will still be a thing here in san jose and again the suites the accounts like those things are going to come and go people yeah. are not going to renew their accounts they're not going to those will not be remembered but having a night that you and i built um that's my thing and so you know whatever the next challenge is for me like I will carry this this um, this with me and make sure that it is a requirement. That's it's a part of what I do. And mm-hmm. you know, when I talk to other teams and, and stuff, it's like you know, the the prospect of me being anywhere else is like you're not getting a seller. Yeah. You're not getting a leader. You're gonna get someone that's gonna be a champion for DINB. And if it doesn't align, like this conversation's over. Yeah. Um, so it's it's um, again the coolest thing I've I've ever been a part of. So I gotta thank you for helping because I you know. I'm I'm more on the reserve side and I like to sit back and kind of come in when that you know when I need to help get things done. But like you have been our you've been our vocal leader for the past, not just three years, like since I got here. And again, oddly enough, I knew about you. I think I've told you this story. When I was at the Niners, then you started Seek Heritage Night. I read about that yeah. in like Sports Business Journal or whatever, because it was the first one in pro sports. And I remember seeing like Mohammed Fulfana and I was like, who the heck is this guy? And so then to come to the sharks and realize, Oh crap, we're working together. And then to do God knows how many initiatives you and I've done together. Like it's crazy. Um, And then to now be sitting here, it's not a surprise, which is probably the biggest compliment I could give you. You know, it's like at some point we were going to go from, okay, we're doing these things under the table to like the bubble was going to pop at some point. And you and I've had so many conversations on leadership and what your career was going to be and where you wanted to go. And, you know, again, I, I've told you this since day one. My job was always twofold. It was to make you the best version of what you are in your current role, but then help you identify what that is you want to do next. Yeah. And the moment you figured that out, like two and a half years ago, that like you want to take on DIB full time and like make that your thing. It wasn't like it was job well done and accomplished, but I was like, from my chair, I was like, I've done what I can. Yeah. It's like I helped him identify his why. Yeah. And so now I'm just going to support you and be an engine for you and, and help help you figure out what that is. But that that's all I can ask as a leader. That's it. That's all. That's all I want you to do. You selling tickets became irrelevant at that point. Yeah. I didn't. I cared because I absolutely yeah, because yeah, we have to do our job. But it but wasn't important yeah, anymore. Think, and like our yeah. conversations and one on ones. When was the last one on one we had? We were talking about your ticket yeah. numbers. Sorry, yeah. Brian. But like it wasn't about that anymore. It was all about your life and your career and like how are you going to get to where you're going and who can we intro you to? And like, that's why I'm here. That's why my job is fulfilling. And like, now it's time for you to to take that on. Right. And go do, go do what you're going to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it's been, it's been appreciated to have someone who um, can listen and be able to um, champion me in, you know, in every facet of the way. Um, and just being given the ride, you know. Yeah. I have just many decisions I've made where I'm just like, holy, you know, like what am I doing? Yeah. And then you're like, 
it is what it is. We're you know we're going with it, and I, so I think for me, um, that is what's empowered me throughout my my tenure here to continue to to lead and just put myself out there because I knew that you know um, the support would be there. Always. And um, Always. and so when know. has that never worked in life? When have you ever like closed your eyes and been like, oh my gosh, I'm just gonna do it, and like you fail? It doesn't happen. It doesn't. It might be hard. It might be, yeah. But like you will sit back at some point in time in the not too distant future and go, wow, that was worth it. Yeah. Wow, that worked. And like I would have been so mad at myself if I didn't. Yeah, that. I, absolutely. And living with regret and not taking opportunities yeah. is so, so much worse than betting on yourself and trying it and going, okay, I learned something here. Yeah. But like sitting here thinking, damn, I wish I took that job. Yeah. Or damn, I wish I moved to wherever yeah. and did that. That's that's not what you want to live yeah. with. So like take the leap, do it. Um, we all have to do it. So um I'm not breaking news today. You're not. Like you're not. I want to take the take, take the leap. Take the leap. And we we, we, can, we can we're, 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 we're here. You got people to support you, right? Absolutely. No matter where you are. So um, Absolutely. jump. Yeah. Jump. So, well, thank you for joining me for the episode today. You tried to catch me on a couple of questions. You're not not slick. No, thank you. This is is, is cool. I've been uh, been waiting for the time. This is uh, is awesome. Thank you. I don't know the next time you were to record like this, but um, if this is it, I know that this has been a hell of a a hell of a ride. And to have the opportunity to be able to like, run the show um but with care you yep, know and absolutely. i think that's the thing you, you give a platform and responsibility and not to be reckless with it but to you know to to do it to the best of your abilities um so that you create a space where someone else can also like dream to think oh i can also do this and i can you know excel at it um the best way that i can and correct so you've done you've done phenomenal um, man and so. like people that are paying attention again if you know you know like multimedia club two for change black and teal the podcast like that's uncharted territory that's something we've never done before and we're a 32 year old franchise yeah. and you know the past two years there's been nothing like it so um, i've been um it's been the coolest thing in the world to to watch you grow into this and do your thing and um i'll i'll, I'll be rooting for you to, to keep keep it up so we gotta we gotta keep and, it up for you no matter what yes sir until next time and until 2028 we'll see where, where that conversation uh-huh. <laughs> maybe that time that'll be a video and a nice scenic <laughs> yeah if you know you know you know where i'll be you know where i'll be if you don't know then you'll find out yeah tune in see you then and that's a wrap wow what an amazing episode with jonathan like i mentioned my favorite part in that episode was how at an early age he knew exactly what he wanted to do and made every decision towards that because in our industry at where he's at right now as a senior director of premium he's far ahead many people who have his title or in the same place that he is and it makes sense now. Like I knew that he was always someone who's very motivated and, you know, a hustler and go-getter. And it makes sense. It makes complete sense. Um, and he continued to emphasize why I've loved doing these podcasts. And if there's anything I've learned from my time doing this podcast is the importance of sitting down and having conversation with people. 
learning from people and using or allowing their stories to inspire you. And so to every person who's given me their time to sit down and have a conversation when I first started this with Whitney Hallock, who was my, you know, right hand woman and Missy and Gina. These are the OG people of the Two for Change podcast. So I would like to quickly um, give them their flowers for being on this ride and keeping me motivated to continue this for what we started. And I'm hopeful that this will continue and these conversations do not die with me. And to every listener out there, thank you for taking the time to listen to these conversations. Oftentimes you have something in mind that you want to do and you just do it because you love to do it, but don't know how it's going to go. And to have people come to me from all walks of life and share things from episodes that I've done with um, all of the people that I've had the pleasure and the honor to have in the conversation with has been, have made my experience here amazing, have made me believe that I could continue to do more of these type of things and continue to pour into other people, continue to um, champion other people. And so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, Jonathan, for being my guest on today's episode. Until the next time, wherever we meet, you can keep in touch at MF The Brand, which is M-F-T-H-E-B-R-A-N-D. That's on all your socials and as well as mfthebrand.com. This is Mohammed Fafana checking out for the last time on the Tear for Change podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teal for Change on the Sharks Audio Network. All music by Yogi Yend.